Welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey everyone, welcome to this morning's podcast. We are uh, we're broadcasting live on the TuneIn network. We are also broadcasting live via YouTube. Not sure if we have any viewers. This is uh, one of the first times we're trying this. Uh, but uh, for, for now on, if you guys like to listen live, might as well pull up YouTube. Check us out on, uh, on youtube.com forward slash paradigm life. I'm uh, joined here with Brad Gibb. Brad, Good morning, sir. Good morning. It's a beautiful summer day. Yep. Here in uh, here in the West. Since we got video, we had to you know do the. I know ties you, I haven't seen now, I haven't so. seen you in ties very often. No. <laughs> <laughs> but we're uh we're we're uh we've been broadcasting for what eight years now. Yeah. And uh, nine actually nine nine years, and uh, we have a lot of different uh, a lot of different material online in relation to our podcast. So definitely check that out. Uh, we are trying to, you know, trying to go more of a professional route with the, with the podcast and the radio show. And so, um, Brad's been taking voice lessons and <laughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> no, but we're, uh, you know, we're, we'd love to do this podcast. It's an incredible way to get our philosophy out there, our financial philosophy. Um, we're grateful for all the, the many thousands and thousands of listeners that we, that we have. Um, we, uh, we've gotten some feedback in the last, uh, last little bit on some of the topics that we've discussed. We're going to be, uh, addressing that today. Before we do that, we'd like to invite you to, to check out our various resources online. Uh, we've spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money on basically taking our very, I would say unorthodox, unconventional, uh, financial advising and, and planning methods and, uh, and putting them online. And instead of, uh, you know, instead of having, the need to discuss these different you know strategies and techniques with a, a person one on one. We felt it would be appropriate for people to learn at their own pace, learn for mm-hmm. themselves, do self discovery, and so we've uh, we've created a lot of different tutorials and audio programs, webinars. So you can go check that out at paradigmlife.net. That's P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M-L-I-F-E.net. We have a free e-learning program called Infinite 101. And uh, also for you real estate investors or just investors in general that are out there, we have a e-learning program called BeYourBank.com. And I can go to that website, register, register for free and check out how our services relate to the real estate investor or investor in general. Also, we're pretty active on social media. Um, yesterday, we actually had a, an interview that I did with Fundrise.com. Uh, Fundrise is a company that uh, I do some personal investments with, and uh, they are out of Washington, D.C., but have offices in New York City, uh, Los Angeles, Seattle, and are really blazing the trail when it comes to uh, crowdfunding, and they have just an incredible pr- platform. Their uh, principles are some of the most intelligent guys that I know, and the way in which they're able to get into these multi, multi, multi million, uh, million dollar real estate developments and deals uh, is fascinating, and uh, it's definitely a cool thing to check out. So check out the interview that I did with them, and uh, it's on our our blog. Uh, or also our social medias, you can go to Facebook and, uh, and follow us, uh, but also on our blog. And you can also check out Fundrise. They have a really, really cool blog that's very active. They're very uh, up on social media and definitely encourage you to, to, follow, to follow them. They are, in a sense, kind of like us, we're blazing the trail with different ways to, you know, I don't know, different ways to do things financially. And I think the the crowdfunding thing is is fascinating. It's turning Wall Street on its heels, which is 
uh, far overdue. Oh, I would that's say. A good thing. <laughs> yep. Uh, so check that out. Anyway, and in social media, we're we're always you know we're blogging a couple times a week. Um, if you ever want to ask questions, definitely uh, reach out to us there. We also have a website or uh, an email address uh, specifically for the podcast. It's podcast at paradigmlife.net. Send us your questions, feedback, uh, leave us some good feedback on iTunes as well. That definitely help, helps our rankings. Um, since we've been doing the show uh, every week, we've uh, we're in the top uh, fifty podcasts when it comes to business, which is uh, which is really cool. Um, so thanks for that. Give us uh, give us your ratings, give us your feedback. We're always trying to improve this. I mean, we're I don't know. I, yep. I, so half the time I'm like, what am I doing? So we're not we're not professionals, but you know we love feedback that helps us become uh, more proficient, more clear, more eloquent in the way in which we explain our philosophy. Well, and we'd love all the questions we can get too. Cause sometimes even, even this morning, we're like, what are we going to, what do we want to talk about? And we were kicking <laughs> ideas around and the more feedback we can get on what we need to go more in depth on. And, and I particularly like the podcast because it really gives us a broad range of, we cover, cover a pretty broad range of topics. Sure. So any, any questions you've got related to anything financial, uh, send them our way and yeah. we'll try to, we'll work on answering them and going through them and, and using that to kind of form what we're going to talk about in these, in these sessions. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, and this is just being, this is just being frank and open. But when I was, I was on the phone yesterday with a colleague that's not in our office, doesn't work with our, our company, uh, but uses a very similar mindset as we do and a set of financial principles. And, it, and we were, we were talking and we came down to, cause in, in, in the financial planning world, you have all sorts of different sales systems. And these are systems created by third parties and you know modern portfolio theory and asset allocation models. You also have insurance type of strategies. And I basically told him, I said, listen, I'm I'm not all I care about is what's what's true and what works. I don't care any with, with the software that we use, which is called Truth Concepts. We want to come down to what works and what doesn't, what's true and what's not. We don't like hyperbole, we don't like conjecture, we don't like I mean, we're, we're all about doing what is best for somebody. And we are the first to say that we don't know everything, but we're always seeking to know as much as possible because the more we know, the more we can help people. And so your feedback is huge for us. If we say something that you don't believe is true, um, let us know. And maybe we can explain it better mm-hmm. or maybe it is untrue. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Right. Um, but we, we want to come to what is true and what's not, what's a good core rock solid financial principle and what's not. We've come to discover, you came from a different industry. I came from a different industry. All of our advisors here at, at Paradigm Life, um, we've all come from various industries and we've figured out this truth. And that's what we're trying to convey to people through our philosophy, through this podcast, through our, our videos uh, and so forth. And that's why I think we sort of shrug off a lot of the normal sales systems. We don't have a black box we're going to take and type your numbers into and then it spits out an answer because nobody nobody's finances work that way. Mm-mm. What we try to do is we try to take the principles that we've learned and discovered and then apply them to each person's scenario. That's why we like, like you mentioned, truth concept is very flexible. It's mm-hmm. let's just put the numbers in and, and see what it tells us mm-hmm. and how this all works and, yep. and discover the principles and make sure that we're applying them correctly. Yep. And, and I was telling this to a client the other day as well. I've done hundreds and hundreds of cases and collectively we've done thousands of cases and I've never had two look the same. Yep. It's, it's meant to be, and that's the way your finances ought to be run. Mm-hmm. It, yours shouldn't look like anybody else's. Yep. And so we're not trying to fit people into a box and say, everybody ought to have these specific allocations, regardless of who you are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what principles are there and what are you trying to accomplish? And, and let's chart the, the best path to get there. Yeah. And I know. And it's, I don't know, it's a hard, 
these, these are hard conversations and because it's a it's a person's money and it's one of the, it's one of the things that you know you don't discuss that at the the cocktail party you know religion politics and money <laughs> and it, but the thing at the same time it's one of the things that people spend the majority of their time doing what do people talk about at cocktail parties and if they don't talk about those three things the kardashians <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but my, but my point my point is you know we are amidst a, a economic shift that most people have are most people are just oblivious to finances in general, let alone the different moving parts and what those moving parts are saying. Uh, but you and I believe that we are amidst a, a financial shift that is going to affect everybody. And the more educated you are, the more prepared you're going to be. Because at the end of it all, you have kind of two outcomes. Some people think that we're going to have you know Armageddon and the end of the world. Uh, other people they they look at it as you know we're humans. We always try to figure out a way to survive, and we're going to survive this as well. Mm-hmm. We can continue to do that. It's what we've done for, for, uh, for thousands of years. Um, but the educated ones are the ones that are going to be able to help pick up the pieces, take advantage of the, the opportunities and help those around us that are, that are struggling. Um, so that's kind of where this podcast comes from. A lot of the resources that we put online is to educate you. And it's not to educate you as far as having more money, having a better rate of return, having more certainty, but it's educating you so you're more aware. And if you're more aware, you're going to think different and you're going to act different. And when these opportunities present themselves, they're not going to just pass you by because how many things pass you by during the day? Okay. Thoughts that you could have had, opportunities that you could have had, relationships you could have fostered. But because the mindset is, you know, just focus on one or two very mundane, repetitive, routine things, your mind's not open. If it's not open, you're not able to take advantage of those opportunities. Well, and really our mind is only able to focus on a few things. I love At the same time. Yeah. I, I love kind of the thought example of is it like if you're going to go buy a new car, last time you bought a new car, as soon as you started to hone in and, and dial in on what you were going to buy, you started to see them everywhere. Yep. Right. And, and they were there the whole time. But as soon as your mind is focused on that, you're like, Oh, that there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. And, and that's what we're trying to do with people is, is, show them, bring some of these ideas to the forefront so that they start recognizing those patterns or, or those manifestations in their own financial life and in the world around them. Yep. Um, so really it's, it does make a big difference to just call attention mm-hmm. to some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for what we're going to, we're going to hit on today and what we've been hitting on, especially over the last few months is calling attention to these things that have been there the whole time, but because our mind hasn't been able to see them, we've, we haven't been able to do anything about it. Yeah. The words have existed right? In, in a specific context, but the words are going to mean whatever your context says they mean. And for most people, when you talk about inflation, when you talk about, um, uh, taxes and you talk about fees, which are these three wealth destroyers that we've been talking about for the last couple of months, Mm -hmm. you hear that. And most people understand what the words are, but they only relate to them given their specific context. So today we're going to hope, well, the last little bit, we've been trying to shift this context. Um, so I did a video, I did a video. First off, we did a, we did a, uh, a summit, uh, we called it the cashflow wealth summit. And it was free and we only have, how many more days do we have? We have like 10 days left. We're coming to the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we did this live. It was a, a two day conference. We had incredible speakers, Kim Kiyosaki, uh, Ken McElroy, 
Um, a lot of other, a lot of other, you know, famous individuals, real estate professionals, business professionals, and uh, and we recorded it, and we put those recordings on kind of an on-demand website. So you can go visit visit cashflowwealthsummit.com, register for free, and access all of these videos for free. And there is some really cool, really cool material on there. There's downloads, there's access to websites and education, and a few other things. Um, so definitely, definitely check that out. Um, but the point of me bringing that up is I, I started in in my presentation on uh, on the Cashflow Wealth Summit. I talked about these three ideas of of wealth destroyers, and I basically took that concept and created a YouTube video out of it. And we posted that YouTube I think probably last week or so. Uh, so go check that out in our YouTube channel um, or on our social media social media page. But that's what we're going to kind of get into today. So the first thing I wanted to do is we had a um, one of our uh, one of our listeners uh, emailed us through through Facebook and. Had a really good question when it came to these three wealth destroyers, which is, is there anything other than real estate that I could use or be in that will help me avoid these, these three wealth destroyers? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to get into that topic and answer, answer this question by Johnny. Um, but first let's, maybe let's get into what they are just to create a good foundation of context and then get into answering the questions. I know you prepared a few things for today and I prepared a few things for today and we'll get into those at the end. Sound good? Yep. Okay. So three wealth destroyers, let's first talk about taxes. Okay. So taxes, what are, so what, what is a tax? Let's just talk plain and simple. (laughs) What isn't a tax? Well, yeah. What isn't tax? Uh, I mean, we pay taxes on on so many different levels. Our main focus is an income tax, which comes out of any time we realize a gain in our financial life, we pay a portion of that to either a state, a municipality, or the federal government, mm-hmm. right? In the form of of a, of a payment. I don't even know what a tax is. I mean, yeah. why, why does it a even tax? there? But <laughs> yeah, it's all, hard to justify yeah. it from my standpoint. Yeah, but. it is hard to justify. But yeah, all all a tax is is basically taking your money and funding uh, some sort of government, this, that, or the other, mm-hmm. which in a sense pays for a good or a service that the free market does not take take care of. Sure. So, in other words, police department, the army, right. um, your <laughs> Seriously, I'm I'm like thinking gasoline. Okay, why are we taxed on gasoline? Okay, it goes to who? <laughs> who knows? Got, yeah, there's but, so many free. There's so many there's, taxes. Yeah, sales taxes, and I mean, yeah, I mean, the list you sent us. I think we talked about this podcast before. There's yeah. like you there's know, hundreds, there's of dozens them, so. and dozens and dozens of different yep. of different taxes. Who in the world knows where they go? But at the end of the day, we pay tax on a lot. But we have a good friend, Tom Wheelwright. They basically wrote a book that gives a guide map on how not to pay taxes. Yep. And what it is, it's not necessarily meaning you don't file a tax return and you do something unethical or illegal. Right. It's basically saying the tax code gives you the specific things that you can do to not pay taxes. Okay, Which says, if you pay for something like this, you don't have to pay tax on that. If you pay for something like this, you don't have to pay taxes on that. So the more you know about the tax code, and my advice is not to go and try to figure out the tax code. It's to find somebody that knows it and follow their advice. Somebody like Tom who yeah. likes reading yeah, the tax book, code. And his book, he's exciting about it. Because he charges quite a bit for his, consult, for his consultations and his company charges quite a bit. But you can just read the book and they have a lot of online tutorials mm-hmm. and e-learning that give basically uh, tax advice and what you can do to not pay taxes. So the idea is taxes is a destroyer of wealth because if you are making money 
and it's being taken away from you, that's money that you're never going to be able to use again. So if you can figure out a way to earn money and make money and not have it taxed as much, that's more money in your pocket that you can now take and use, invest, et cetera. Yeah. And the big focus there, I can't help you avoid gasoline tax unless you maybe buy an electric vehicle or something, but it's, it's really focused on income tax. That's the one we have the yeah. most, that's the, well, gas- we have the most control. Well, gasoline tax is if you, if you own a business and you operate your vehicle as part of your business, whether it's operating or travel, et cetera, you can now, there's different ways you can write off miles or you can write mm-hmm. off all expenses associated with, with the car. It just depends on, on what the nature of the business is and how much you use the vehicle. But even a gasoline tax, yeah, you're going to pay the gasoline tax, but all the expenses associated with the car can essentially be part of a, pre, a pre-tax yes. and not have to be taxed. Yeah. So it's whether you're, you're paying some of those taxes with pre-tax money or post-tax money, right? Exactly. And, yep. And you're not going to avoid the tax. Right. And then, and then the other thing to think about there is learning to know how our income is taxed. So the money that we're making day to day, as we exchange our time for money, mm-hmm. as well as focusing on how our assets produce income and how that's taxed. Cause our assets are kind of like workers for us, uh, out there generating additional dollars for yep. us. And, and, and there's, there's kind of two approaches to it. It's, it's how is my income earned and taxed? And then how are my assets mm-hmm. taxed and, and what investments are there? So, okay. All right. So taxes, there's a way in which you can make your, the growth of your assets, even your income, uh, you can use the tax code for you as opposed to it being used against Against you, which is for the most part, what everybody is, is having to to deal with right now. Okay. So taxes is the first thing. Next wealth destroyer are is, and you can go in different orders. It's not like there's one that's more important than the other. They're all destroying your wealth um, equally, uh, but fees. Okay, the other thing, to, the other thing in our in our society is we've come to this social agreement that when we get our paycheck, we should put money into a four hundred one k, and that money goes into Wall Street, goes to a mutual fund company, it goes to uh, the stock exchanges. It purchases a security, uh, which is either a a bond or a stock or some other type of fractional ownership in a fund. So the idea behind doing that is you want to grow your money. Okay. Money wants Mm -hmm. to compound, but, and you want to leverage the experts and pay those experts. Those experts are paid by charging you fees. But for the most part, fees are this black hole that nobody really knows what they're charged. There's been lots of studies done on it. And at the end of it all, the fees that are charged do not justify the earnings that are made. If you're earning 10, 12, 15% per year consistently, for sure, charge, you know, I'd pay, you know, 1% fee, 2% fee, whatever. But the lackluster gains in Wall Street do not justify the fees that are being charged. Well, and, and it's also, to me, a broken system on what they charge. They are charging fees on all of the money you give them, not on how they perform, right? Yeah. So, so there's a big disconnect there too. Yep. That that doesn't seem, I don't know, to me to make a lot of sense. Yep. I want to I want to pay somebody based on what they do for me, not just how much money I give them. Yep, exactly. But typically with these type of, you have upfront fees, upfront loads, then you have management loads over time, then you have sales loads, and the, all these funds have to pay taxes. Yep. Okay, but 
who owns the funds? The in, in, investors do. So all those taxes are passed to the person. So if, and people think that they have assets and securities that are tax deferred. And in a sense, they do because they don't have to pay income tax on them. But the thing is, those funds and the gains of those funds, all those taxes are passed through to you know to the uh, to the investor. Yeah. And if you think you know what you're paying in fees, you need to do a little bit more research yep. because whatever is disclosed to you is not the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So you'll never. I don't think you'll ever really know a dollar amount of what you individually pay in fees. But mm-hmm. you have to be aware of the impact and, and what's going on there. So if you're saying, Oh no, no, I know exactly it's disclosed right here. And it's this percentage of a load or whatever it is, go out and do a little more research. It's not really what we're going to get in today, but that's not what you're paying. So finding and learning that is, is is where you start. One thing to address before we get to inflation, which is kind of the, going to be the bulk of our conversation today. But the last, you know, this last, uh, the, the, the whole idea of fees, I think the, I think our society and our economy and entrepreneurs have really discovered that there is a flaw in Wall Street. And for instance, there's a documentary I watched that was brilliant. It talked about fraud on Wall Street. It talked about mismanagement. It talked about you know the lack of fiduciary responsibility that these guys exercise uh, because of their risky betting, gambling uh, with American money. So it was a brilliant documentary, hit on all the points that we would have hit on, hit on a lot of the inside job uh, points. Um, which is another really good, uh, really good documentary that if you haven't watched, you should watch. And, uh, but at the end of it all, their solution wasn't an alternative strategy. It was the exact same strategy yeah. with less fees. Yeah. And, or more regulation. Uh, it, yeah. And, and looking at, looking at, you know, what has come about, you know, Acorns, which is kind of a fat, you know, a lot of the, like Van- Vanguard has come out and has figured out how to have securities with very low fees. Um, then you've had uh, companies like Acorns and some other what are called registered investment advisories, where you give them money and they do have performance based type type of fees. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agree that that helps solve some of the problem. But at the end of it all, Wall Street is is a, is a casino uh, for the most part, and you're still subject to a lot of other risk. Even though you can avoid maybe one of the wealth destroyers, which is fees, you're still subjecting yourself to the other two wealth destroyers. <laughs> and well, and, and that's kind of where we're going to go yeah. to with inflation is even if I eliminate my fees, if I'm not generating a rate of return, my money is still being destroyed. Yep. So it's not just because that's part of a hang up I have with index funds is, okay, great. I got rid of a lot of the fees, but I also got rid of a lot of the return. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I'm not able, I, like I, said, I, I took care of one of the three wealth destroyers, but the other two are still working so hard yep. that the return left to me after being able and willing to get, to get rid of those fees yep. still doesn't keep up, still doesn't help me. Yep. So attacking one of the three solutions isn't going to, you've got to know what all three of them are exactly. and be able to attack all you three You can't just them. attack one and think that you're, you're saved. You're going to have a third of your money back. No, it's not, it's not how it works. And so right. this whole, this, the video I did on, on YouTube is a perfect example of that because all of the wealth destroyers, they basically wipe out at least 95% each of, of the potential gain. Right. Yep. So it's a, it's a, it's mind boggling just to run, run those numbers. But at the end of it all, you know, looking at, looking at the market itself, I'm not saying that the stock market is bad. I'm just saying that for the most part, the buy and hold strategy just has, hasn't worked and you are subjected, subjected to systematic risk. 
Because if the market falls, it doesn't matter if you have index funds or whatever, it falls. But for the sophisticated trader, you know, we were good friends with Andy Tanner, who is a very successful options trader. And he understands cycles and technical analysis and fundamental analysis. And he really, uh, it's, his, it's his business. So I'm not saying that it's bad all around, but for the average investor that's in a buy and hold, putting their money with Wall Street, hoping that it grows, it, that, that's where we're talking about the wealth destruction. Yeah. And I was even reading an article just this morning by Tom Dyson uh, from the Palm Beach Research Group, who who they do a lot of this similar type stuff where they say the buy and hold, isn't it? You've got to pick strategies. And he was talking about why you know dividend stocks are so superior to the, the normal type of a strategy because it's it's got that income component to it. Mm-hmm. It's got a different, the return, the income return is not subject to the wealth destroyers the same way buy and hold strategies mm-hmm. are. He wasn't saying it in those terms, yep. but that's basically what his article was, was working to prove out. So mm-hmm. understanding that it's really not even the investment itself, mm-hmm. it's how we go about buying that. And yep. that's going to lead into this question. Yep. Real estate is so effective in mitigating all three of them, mm-hmm. not because it's real estate, yep. not because it's a house and a structure, mm-hmm. but it's how we have to interact with real estate yep. and the way we go about it. Mm-hmm. And if we can take a lot of those same ideas or that same approach to how you're forced to buy real estate to into other investment areas, mm-hmm. you're going to see similar results and yep. similar impacts. Because yeah, the, deal, the deal with real estate, um, you can accomplish some very similar things with maybe a, a business, but real estate, it basically, it basically gives you the characteristics of all three of these wealth destroyers and completely wipes them out. Yep. And so we'll, we'll discuss that and why we, I mean, we don't sell real estate. No. Um, we don't get paid by, you know, recommending anything. That's not, we don't t- touch that at all. Um, but all of us, you know, a lot of us, you and I have actually done some investing together. Um, real estate is just one of those assets that, that allows you to accomplish, um, you know, uh, uh, an overcoming of these three wealth destroyers. And so we'll discuss that in, in detail. Yeah. But then I also want to answer uh, Johnny's question about, is there anything else that, that could do that? Which I do think that there is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay so let's, let's kind of, let's kind of get into the inflation side of things, which is, I, I think is the most deceptive of the wealth destroyers. We all know we're getting charge fees. Taxes are there. We know that we're going to, we're going to have to pay them. But inflation is, is deceptive because inflation is hidden uh, because people really don't understand what it is and how it works. So let's spend maybe a a few minutes. um, We we still have a good amount of time. Let's spend a few minutes just discussing inflation in general, just so we're on the same page. I know we spent a lot of time last time doing it. We spent some webinars talking about it, but because it is just this such a profound concepts that most people are oblivious to, let's really hit the nail on the head and then tell our listeners why why they should care. Because most people hear inflation, they're like, eh, inflation. But when when you realize how real it is for you and how essentially money is being taken out of your pocket every single day because of inflation without you just, you know, it's it's essentially robbing you. It's robbing you of the money that you sweat every single day to earn. So let's let's talk about just inflation basics. Inflation basics. Can we make it? Can we make it basic? Um, where do you want to start? What do you have in mind? Inflation basics. Come on, don't put you on the spot. You are putting no, me I mean, on the spot. So inflate, inflation basics is, you know, you, you can use it in, I always say, you know, if you, if you fill up a, a pitcher of, of Kool-Aid, 
right? So let's say your kids are going to go out and they're going to do, you're going to uh, sell lemonade, right? For the, for the, okay. to earn, earn some money, right? And they have this big picture of lemonade and the instructions on the little canister of lemonade say, okay, you put these many scoops in, um, assuming that it's not, you know, homemade lemonade, right? Assuming that it's artificial lemonade, they put these amount of scoops in and the kids are like, wow, I, you know, this is only one little picture. Why don't we just get, just pour this one pitcher with 10 times the amount of water, right? Without putting 10 times the amount of lemonade, yeah, right? Because we'll have 10 times the amount of lemonade, right? So they do that. And now people are, are drinking this super diluted lemonade, right? And they're like, uh, I'm not going to, I want my money back. This isn't lemonade. This is like barely lemon water. Yeah. Right. So that Very is essentially, that's essentially is inflation, which is, there are powers that the government has, the Federal Reserve has, banking has, Wall Street has, where they can essentially uh, accomplish the exact same thing, right? They can basically create money out of nowhere and dilute the money that already exists. Yeah. And the danger to that is and why we're on the side that inflation does not bring about prosperity, it does not bring about any type of growth is – we measure everything in dollars. We even measure our output in dollars. And so if they can see more dollars being measured, we feel like, well, there must be more going on. There must on. be growth. But just like the lemonade, if we're not adding more flavor, if we're not adding more production, we're adding more scoops of powder, then, then we're not any better. Yep. We're not any better off because yep. we don't consume money. We don't actually want money. We want the things money can get for us. Yep. And if there's not more things, yep. then none of us are better off. Exactly. Right. So, and there's more money chasing those most things. The money you have is money you earned. Mm -hmm. The other money that's out there is money that was not earned. And that is what the deceptive part is, which is you have this, you have a government body and you have the federal reserve, which, you know, is kind of a quasi quasi government body. It's not federal, not federal. doesn't have reserves, but yeah. Yeah. So you have these, these powers that are able to create this money that is chasing that finite amount of goods mm -hmm. and essentially bidding up the price. Okay. So an ex another example of that is, you know, let's just look at if you own a, if you own a, a car. Right. And you're you're trying you want to sell your car, but every and everybody in the neighborhood wants to buy your car. Right. So what are you going to be able to do to the price of your car? You can price. say, OK, well, if everyone wants to buy it and everybody's giving me these offers, I'm just going to increase the price. Now you have fewer buyers. You still have a lot of buyers. OK, I'm going to increase the price even more. OK, you're going to increase it up to the most amount that you can get for the car. But let's flip flip it. Okay. What if you're trying to sell your car? There's only one buyer out there. Now, now who's in the driver's seat? Now he has the power. Buyer has the power, yep. right? Because he's going to say, oh, you're asking that, but nobody else is willing to buy your car. So if you're desperate, then you need to lower the price. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that is the idea of bidding up. It's this idea of supply and demand, yep. right? Because everybody have, has more dollars in their wallet. They're willing to pay more yeah. of them for this the same number of goods that were there before. Yep. But if I've got more dollars, I'll, yeah. I will give up some. For and I'll that. use another, another example is maybe, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to put any, you know, socioeconomic bias toward, toward this, but let's look at, let's look at welfare, right? What is, what is welfare? Uh, so you have EBT cards, um, you have social aid, you have Medicaid, uh, you have, you know, other, other local uh, yes. state government programs Such that just give, give, give money or subsidize people's living. Okay. Where does that money come from? 
right? It's either a tax or it's money that was basically a grant or something given by the government, which probably came from an inflated operation, which was the government essentially um, selling their securities to the Federal Reserve in exchange for new money, right? Mm -hmm. So that money now is increasing the amount of circulation, but the people that are spending this money didn't earn it, right? They didn't go out they didn't get a job. They didn't produce. Now they are chasing after the same amount of goods you are and essentially bidding up the price. So now you're having to pay more than what you would have had to have paid had that program not existed. Because more is being consumed without new things being added Produced. back in. Because the the value in exchange doesn't come from the money that's there, yep. but it comes from that you produce something and I produce something. Yep. And money just helps us exchange what we've produced yep. and, and the value that we've created. Yep. And if, if not everybody that is exchanging in this pool is actually creating value, yep. then it's diluting yep. everybody's overall benefit. Yep. So let's do, let's do a couple more examples just so we hit this home okay. and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get into why it's a good thing and why it's a bad thing. <laughs> I hope it's a bad thing. Well, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, anyway, well, let's, let's get another example. Do you have another example? Yeah. So another thing of, of why we should care about this or why this hurts us is let's, let's picture the average saver. Okay. We all know that it's wise to save and, and be able to afford something okay. before we, we want to buy it. Okay. But let's take money out of it and go back to the, the idea that we've created something of value. Okay. So saving was a good idea when we could create something of value, but then wait to exchange it until we had the need for something else. Okay. Right. So in rewind a hundred years, we grow wheat during the summer yep. and then we save some of that stored wheat yep. for the winter time. And then we can exchange it for a candle or something yep. that we wanted at that point in time. And we assumed right? that the, its value was going to be the same as it was when we stored it. Yeah. Because, more. because next year growing wheat was the same thing and, yep. and we kind of know what goes into that process. Yep. But when we translated and started using money or currency, mm -hmm. let's, let's use currency because mm -hmm. really what we're our dollar isn't money anymore it's mm -hmm. it's it's only currency mm -hmm. now when i produce that thing and then save for the future if if an, if if new dollars have entered by the time from when i produced to when i exchange now what i produced doesn't buy what i was hoping to get later mm -hmm. on so it actually makes me it makes me poor as i save that money mm -hmm. so it it hurts those people that are the diligent ones that are setting the money aside yeah. and being responsible and taking their time to save up, they're they're sort of on this, it's like trying to walk up an escalator that's coming down. Yeah, you can do it, mm -hmm. but it takes a lot more effort than even just a yep. standing, you know, regular staircase because it's always, it's always headed in the opposite direction. And that's what happens to savers. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's that class of people that are, that are, better off than not, you know, those that are not working at all, mm -hmm. but they just never feel like they can get ahead. Get ahead. These are always yeah. just one step behind. And that's because they're on that escalator going the opposite direction because okay. they're trying to save the little bit of value that they're able to create in society. Mm -hmm. And, and then every time they try to turn on exchange, it's worth a little bit less and a little bit less. And they just can never really figure out why they're, they're never able ahead. to get ahead. Okay. So I'm going to use one more example. Then we'll, then we'll get into, you know, what, what we can do about it. So another example is is how the government how the government operates. So you, the government gets money two ways, right? It gets money by selling securities, which is it goes into debt, right? Mm -hmm. So it says, China, I need a billion dollars. I'll give you 
this note, give me your money and I'll pay you back at this amount of interest. Right. So that's, that's a, that's a, a note. So there's mm-hmm. government. Uh, so there's bills, notes and bonds. And so that all has to do with maturity period. So that's how they, they go into debt to, 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 uh, um, spend, spend money, right. Other thing they do is they tax but when they go into debt. That's what I want to focus on. Um, they also have a relationship with the federal reserve. Okay. And the relationship is the federal reserve will print new money and essentially g- give the government, give the government money through, through securities. And let's say the government takes that billion dollars and now they do a construction project. Okay. They do a construction project, which essentially is kind of creating, um, something that didn't exist, uh, before, right. But they're using money that wasn't produced. They're using money that was just created. And so what that does, it cycles money into the workers pockets, right. And those workers pockets, um, again, what does that have to do with, with inflation? Well, the workers, now that if they're having to work for the government, okay, they are giving up another job that could have taken place, by um, by the private private sector, which is money that wasn't printed, money that was actually produced. So essentially, when you've created that type of environment, now you have more jobs, more people that are that are producing. Okay, but it's a a false sense of false sense of production because it's taking money that didn't exist before to fund it. Okay, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. And then what ends up being the consequence of that, though? So we well, there's multiple consequences. We, but we produce, produce, produce based on nothing being exchanged. Yep. And then when that rug is pulled out from underneath us and we yep. realized that we spent through all this savings yeah. or this real money, things weren't actually created. Yeah. That's when you have a correction and yeah. a collapse. Well, you have, well, it leads to the malinvestment, exactly. right? It leads to like, look at Solyndra, right? Or look at other failed government projects, right? They're pumping money in and they're paying workers and those workers are going out and spending and so forth, but they're creating something that is not necessarily in demand, right? Or at least it wasn't in demand enough by those that actually produced money as opposed to created it. Okay. So that's where it leads to malinvestment like Solyndra, right? Solyndra is a great idea, but so is time travel, right? So you look at these great ideas and do they deserve funding? Is it, is there enough um, evidence there that will actually work out? Well, a person that actually saved and produced the money would be able to make a better decision and determine that risk. But if money mm-hmm. comes from nowhere, who cares? Yep. It came from nowhere. There's no consequences associated with a Solyndra or another type of malinvestment going down. And that's where the correction ensues is we have all these crappy malinvestments that occur because of this, because of this process. And then while you're making those investments that don't turn out to be anything of value, you neglected those things that you should have done, yep. right? The things that were currently adding to it. We said, oh, we don't need to do that. Yep. And now we have to go back and spend the money where we should have. So it kind of compounds. And that's why you get such sharp falls off in the economy yep. when when these when these changes or this malinvestment bubbles to the surface and that rug is pulled out. Yep. So, so that up and down and, and wild. I mean, the, the economy, no matter what, would always be up and down to an extent, but it would not be the wild swings we've seen yep. that... Uh, uh, you know, as of just in the last 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So we, we only have a few minutes left. So let's kind of get into the, the good news and the bad news. So the bad news is you, this isn't going to disappear taxes. You know, I, I think Ronald Reagan said the closest thing to eternity was a, was a government program. So the t- idea of taxes is, is who knows, it's going to take quite a bit to, yeah. to shift it. Um, so, but chances are you're not gonna be able to control that. Okay. Chances are, you are not going to be able to control inflation, unfortunately, right? No matter what we talk about, how we define what our philosophy is and our perspective is, the powers that actually run this system far greater than any collective power that that exists elsewhere. Well, 
and certainly greater than your own individual power. Yep. So there's nothing you as an individual yep. can really do about it. So there's a so a couple of years ago I was on a on a on a like an investment an investment event and uh, Robert Kiyosaki was there and he brought up something that was pretty pretty profound that I still think about to to this day. And he's like, you know what, Ron Paul, I I commend him for his efforts. I agree with some of his principles, but at the end of the day, he's not going to end the Fed. Right? It's too big, too powerful, too ingrained. And it, his, it's a noble effort, but Kiyosaki said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, if the feds goes away, great, but I'm going to be the fed. And what he meant by that is you take advantage of what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And you essentially, you know, leverage what they're doing, leverage their activity for, for your gain. And your gain essentially gives you power to educate more people and and do real investments and make a difference in your own life and also make a difference in the life, uh, lives around you. Because the more financial resources you have, the more people you're going to be able to help. So basically his, his premise was do what they do. So yep. what do they do? Um, and this is the, the best, you know, kind of getting into uh, the question by Johnny. Um, in, we'll talk about real estate first and why that is such a superior way to avoid all three wealth destroyers. Okay, but then we'll get into other ways in which you can uh, essentially leverage the three wealth destroyers. Okay, so the first thing is, um, is that idea of leverage, right? Yep. So the biggest hedge against inflation is not gold. It's not silver. Uh, it's not a precious metal. Um, those markets are, are rigged as well, right? Now, the in a physical sense, hopefully they'll come back to equilibrium. You know, who knows? But the pricing is not a, a true free market pricing in a sense. It's, well, a rig, it's a rigged pricing. So it's not the best, not the best hedge. So why is debt a better hedge than gold or silver. So debt is doing what the federal government does. We talked about this. If the federal government wants to spend something, they know they can't raise taxes by very much more, right? We're barely collecting enough taxes to just pay the interest on the debt. So the yeah. only way the government can spend is to do what? Borrow, print. right? Well, or, print. And yeah, somebody they, has to borrow They borrow that. the printed money. Yes. <laughs> so they have to, they have to borrow. Yep. So if we want to take advantage the same way you do, we need to borrow the same way. Yep. So by borrowing somebody else's money that, again, we didn't have to work to create, yep. we can then control the asset. Yep. And it's the asset that we want that's really going to help us get there. Mm-hmm. But if we can accelerate that and acquire the assets today mm-hmm. that then are pushed up in dollar terms by inflation, yep. we control all of that upswing with a very small amount of our own capital into yep. it. So we're effectively doing the same thing that governments and these other institutions that benefit on the early end by getting the dollars early yep. rather than working and waiting and working and waiting yep. to get them on the back end that aren't worth as much. Okay. So so debt leverage is one of the best. And again, debt, it's one of those things that it's such a, it's such a, a it's a conversation that you need to realize is, is two-sided. The first part is debt is it's when person says debt is bad. Typically they're referring to consumer debt right. when debt is used to acquire non-assets debt is used to acquire a vacation or used yeah. to acquire a boat or used to acquire a car. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about leverage and debt to acquire assets. Well, I wish I had a dollar on me to, to, to bring up since we're on video, but Next time you have cash in your hand, pull out a dollar. Tell yourself debt is bad and then read what it says on there. Federal Reserve note. That currency that you're holding in your hand is debt. So if it's bad, we don't even want the currency. So we've got to understand that our money is different than Mm -hmm. it was. When that idea of debt is bad came out and was 
that was accurate when our money was different. Yep. Money has, they changed the rules, which means those, those ideas need to be updated for the, the, the system that we live in today. Okay. And that is essential. Cool. Yes. And, and even, you know, honestly, it's, if you looked at, if you took out a, a loan to buy a car, I mean, it, that is also, inf- it, it's hedged, right? Because mm-hmm. there's inflation and the payments you're making on a, on a car loan, you're effectively paying less and less each year because the payment in the first year is more expensive than the payment in the second year, because, you know, essentially that payment adjusts for inflation and is less valuable in the economy. But I'm not going to get into the yeah. weeds weeds on this, but debt is one of the best hedges for inflation. But when it acquires assets, it is the best, the best hedge. Um, okay, so let's get into how it uh, – so the best hedge is, is in, for inflation is, is, is debt. debt. Now let's get into why real estate. So real estate is also tax efficient because of uh, writing off interest, because of uh, depreciation because of all the other expenses associated with um, with real estate, effectively you can pay zero tax on the income and gain. Because when you have a capital gain inside of real estate and you want to sell property, you can sell the property and essentially take those gains and do what's called a 1031 exchange into another property without having to pay tax. And you can continue to do that pass on the real estate to your to the next generation and they get a step up in basis. Yeah, so there's kind of three main categories to those tax benefits with real estate. One is you get to turn post-tax expenses into pre-tax expenses. We all like to do that, yep. and that makes sense. So we reduce taxes that way. We also get to write off things that we don't actually have to take cash out of our pocket mm-hmm. for depreciation, right? Yep. We don't write a check for depreciation expense, no. yet it reduces our income tax. Yep. So that's the second one. And then the third one is we get to defer tax. So we can receive value, whether it be cash flow or appreciation, mm-hmm. and not have to pay taxes on it yep. now. And we can defer that. And actually with real estate, one of the only investments we can defer forever and never end up having to pay that and then, yep. and then pass it on. So there's goes three main categories there with real estate. Okay. The other thing too is you also have a hedge against inflation because of rents. Okay. Because as money cycles through the economy, the primary expense somebody has is is their housing, right? It's one of those staple things that you need need in life, food, shelter, and clothing. So looking at your rent, again, it's individual, it's more money chasing after a finite amount of goods. There's only a finite amount of properties, finite amount of doors, finite amount of rentals. When you have more money chasing that, it's going to bid the price up. I have a bunch of rentals and it's like every time I can, I can raise rents by 25 bucks, 50 bucks. And I'm able to do that because there's more people chasing, more people demanding that because there's more dollars out there. Yeah. And what is, I mean, think about yourself. What is one of the first things, if you've got more money, what's one of the first things you're going to make sure is taken care of? Your housing. your housing. So one of the first things that gets bid up in our economy is housing. housing. Mm-hmm. So we want to be on the early end of bidding up instead of the the back end yep. of things being bid up. Good and point. housing always ends up being on that early end. Good point. And it's also an asset that unlike trying to store something for a few, for, we don't really know what we're going to exchange it for. We just know we're going to need value in the future by putting it into an asset that is creating a value exchange right now. Mm-hmm. Again, we're kind of locking in that, that, that asset is, is creating a way for us to exchange. Mm-hmm. And it's through that value exchange that, that we're, that we're protected in, yep. in essence. And it's not eaten away because that exchange is happening right now in real time okay. rather than at some point in the future, Down we the don't future. know all the, all the, yeah, all and, the that, and that what's, that's what comes to, to, to money now because there's cash flow Now there's not liquidity necessarily because it's in, it's tied up in equity, but 
you know, essentially you have, you know, down payments that are required where it does require an initial investment, but you get cash flow now, which you can then take, save and acquire another asset, which creates kind of the yep. velocity of money idea. So real estate, we can keep going off on this, but for lack of time, um, let's maybe discuss other things that you can do uh, other than other than real estate. Um, so the idea behind, you know, the idea behind real estate is that you can you can borrow to acquire it. There's not many assets that you can do that with. So as I listened to this question by John, or heard this question, or read this question by Johnny, it maybe it maybe think think a little bit. And so what I you know what I came to the conclusion of my initial thoughts was the first thing is business, right? Yep. So looking at and this is not it doesn't necessarily mean it's for everyone, but I have a really good, really good client, become a really good friend of mine, and he's been successful in franchise franchise ownership. He owns um, a half a dozen franchises with one company, uh, and then uh, a few uh, four with another company. Franchises are basically proven business models. Now you're not going to go out and buy just any old any old franchise. Okay, you need to obviously research it, make sure it's a reputable company. It does require down payments, but for the most part all of the acquisition can be financed. And because of these proven business models, as long as you have decent credit, there are a lot of banks out there that are willing to lend against this type of uh, type of business. So if you're borrowing and you're using mm-hmm. leverage, which offsets inflation, you're acquiring a business, that business is a proven model, and then you have a cash flow associated with that, which gives you money right now. And like any other good or service, if there's inflation, most likely more money is going to be chasing finite amount of things. You're going to be able to increase the price of your services or goods because of that. So business ownership is a is another thing. And acquiring a franchise, it's one of those things where is it a job? It could be. You can get a manager for it. You know, there's some franchise franchises out there that you can acquire, maybe work there and then hire a manager to to do mm-hmm. eventually. Um, but a lot of there's a lot of people that are very successful with franchise ownership, but there's a lot of people that are going bankrupt because of it. So you have to be you have to be cautious. You have to be educated. Yeah, but those same principles that we kind of went through, where we've got income, we've got the ability to leverage it, and then we've got the value exchange happening all the time, yep. is existing is existent in a business. Mm-hmm. And the added leverage you get from a business that you don't get really get from real estate is you get to leverage people, mm-hmm. right? You get a lot of even if you have to work in the business, yep. you're not the only one working there. Yep. Or your current job, you're probably the only one doing that job, yep. right? So you get to leverage the efforts and and mm-hmm. and work of of other people as well to feed your system. Yep. So so that's what makes to me that's what makes business so yep. powerful as well. And I think the leverage of people it all comes down to management. And what I would encourage is is that's one of the one of the 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 tools of the wealthy tools of the rich is they figure out a way to to manage they figure out a way to um to basically round up the troops get everybody on the same page we get them motivated and get work done because one person can only do so much when you have a team of people it's ex- it's exponential so my recommendation is if you're if you don't even have enough money for a franchise first off you need to start putting money aside start being frugal cut your expenses save save money up maybe in the interim if you are not a manager at your current employer, figure out a way to become a manager. Okay. And it's one of those skills where you're not going to do it for the rest of your life with that specific company. If you do go off on your own, 
But that's a huge skill that if you you know pay for training, uh, pay for leadership skills, listen to leadership books. Um, I can we you know if we have more time, I can go go off on that. But that is another huge investment is as far as you know avoiding these three wealth destroyers is education, educating yourself not on what investment to buy, but educating yourself on on who you are, how you inspire, how you manage, how you lead, and those skills. Everybody has it within them. Everybody. I, I think most human beings have within them the ability to inspire, the ability to encourage, the ability to lead. You can hone in those skills by, by you know, going and doing an online course or going to a three-day event. They're everywhere. And what that allows you to do is be more invaluable to your employer, which makes you more money. But then you can start acquiring skills there and then essentially go into you know a franchise type of system or a business type of system where you find something that's valuable and you find a franchise around it. And then you have the management and leadership skills. Now you hone in the troops and you are able to obtain financing and essentially accomplish the same thing as, as real estate. So that's, as I was thinking about this question, that's another, you know, another way to, to really spin it. And I think these days, you know, look at demographics and the biggest demographic that has literally trillions of dollars is the baby boomer generation. And there are a lot of really interesting franchises that have been really successful giving baby boomers the services that they need, mainly through uh, healthcare and home-based services. Uh, and so I, that's start researching that. There's lots of different franchise newsletters and different business opportunities when it comes to that big demographic. But in order to operate those successfully, I think management, leadership, and organization needs to take precedent. That comes first. Yep. Well, and and to continue down that line, I know a lot of people would be like, well, I can't quit my job. I can't. I don't have funds to buy a franchise. I'm not going to do that. The other thing you can do is there's another type of leverage as well where you can leverage time. You could start an online business of some kind. You mm-hmm. could put out products that don't require you to be there to sell them. You create them once and then they sell over and over and over and over. I mean, this podcast will continue to attract listeners for years to come. And mm-hmm. we got nine years worth of this where we did it once yep. and then it's up there as an as a digital asset that can help build and work for you while you're not working. Yep. So it can it can be an online business and and even expand your mind one level further where if you've got something you can sell or mm-hmm. some service somebody will pay you to do, great. But even if you just create a platform mm-hmm. that's valuable and you create readership, there are people, I mean, you said demographics, right? If you can attract 100,000 baby boomers to come and aggregate virtually on your site, that's valuable to somebody else Mm -hmm. who wants to get in front of those people. So it's not even just about a, a product that's going to be sold, although that's that's probably the first place most people could start. It's Mm -hmm. also about creating platforms, about organizing people, getting them together. And then, and then that in and of itself can become valuable and something that can be leveraged where you're not spending all of your time yep. doing it. Well, it's, I mean, the big, I was, I, I can't remember which book it was of his, but Donald Trump, he was talking about how he prepares for a speech, right? And when he goes and presents to, to somebody, what he wants, what he wants to know is what do they want? What do the people want? Why are they there? What is their self-interest? What do they want out of it? And if you start to go into relationships with that mindset, you're going to figure out ways to provide more value to people if you know exactly what they want. And that's going to give you more money, more experience. Uh, and then you can essentially leverage that to, to do other, other things. But an economy is all about supply and demand. There are people that supply and then there are people that demand. These days, we're mostly a consumer-based economy. Everybody is consuming mm-hmm. and demanding and demanding and demanding and wanting to put the least amount of effort toward that. Flip it. Be the be the opposite. Be the one that's yep. supplying. What are you supplying? And I would argue that taking your four hundred one k contribution. I mean, this 
this may be sacrilegious, but taking your 401k contribution and investing that in personal education, best investment is your, is in yourself. Be a leader, be an inspirer, be a speaker, do public speaking courses. I mean, there's so many ways in which you can optimize your skills and be more valuable. And then whatever you do, whether it's real estate or whether it's a business, if you can, if you can be the best at doing that, you're going to be as successful, whatever you do. So I would say that if you're looking for opportunity, you don't want to do real estate, you don't want to do a franchise. I would say take all of your savings contribution and invest in yourself, do speaking skills, uh, management skills. Uh, there's a lot of different personal development courses that you can take online or in your own little city or town yep. to optimize yourself. And that is another way in which you can avoid a lot of this. Because what we tell a lot of our clients is we don't believe in the concept of retirement. There are some con- people that you know want to stop what they're doing we say, unless you want to die within five years, we don't say that specifically, but if, unless you want to, to end your life, people are meant to be productive. People are not meant to stop. Retiring is stopping. We don't want you to stop living. Find something that's productive. Find something that takes the skills that you had throughout your entire career and use them for something that you love doing. And then you can make money at doing. Yep. So Let, let's make one quick distinction before we, we end. Got, yeah, we got two, two um, minutes left. Do you have gold and silver? Yeah. So do I. Yep. Okay. So where does gold and silver fit into this? Right. And the distinction I want to make here is we're talking about a different hedge against inflation. Yep. We're looking at how do we create wealth in an inflationary environment? How do we get ahead of it mm-hmm. and, and, and add to our net worth, yep. not just protect it. Gold and silver is fantastic. It is very important. It should be a key part of your inflation strategy, but you need to realize Gold and silver will never make you money. It will protect the purchasing power that you have. Mm-hmm. So today's discussion was not about protection. Nope. It, I mean, in a game, there's offense and there's defense, right? Gold is the defensive strategy. It's to protect what you already have set aside. Yep. We wanted to hit on what are those things that can put us in the offensive mode and be able to create and develop and 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 get us ahead of that curve. So we're not against gold and silver by any means. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a bad thing. But if somebody's talking about it saying, buy gold and silver to make you rich, they don't understand inflation, mm-hmm. right? That will protect you. You should have something protected mm-hmm. from inflation. But you need to under the, that's what I like about this this conversation we've been having today and just the wealth destroyers in general. It's about trying to get ahead of it. It's about trying to create and develop and grow rather than just protect. Okay. Love it. Awesome. Great, great final comment. All right, everyone. Well, if you like what you hear, if you don't like what you're here, let us know. I mean, maybe we can uh, reduce the, the rants, <laughs> um, but let us uh, give us your feedback podcast at paradigmlife.net. Visit our social media outlets. Uh, we have lots of information on there. If you want to learn more about what we do and you're not a client, then we have some really cool resources uh, online. You can register for those, uh, look into what we do and, uh, and then just give us a call. If you'd like to uh, schedule a consultation with one of our advisors, that's it for today. See you guys next week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial with your host, Patrick Donahoe. 